You're listening to Episode 9 of Fed Talks with Jimmy Chrisman. Fed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Chrisman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week, I want to bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, and professors of theater education that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I'm excited to bring you this week's episode where I talk with Brian Daniel Oglesby. Teachers in a very unique situation that um, I think some of us are going to be very envious of. Uh, so hopefully you can gather some really uh, useful things about devising theater from what we're going to talk about today. You can always reach out and contact me uh, via email at fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. Always welcome uh, feedback. I welcome your requests for things to talk about on the show, as well as if you would like to be a guest. I'm looking for guests for season two uh, that will begin in August. So please reach out to me. Let me know if you're interested. I've already got a great lineup started, and I'd love to add you to the list. You can find our show archives, as well as transcripts from every episode, as well as each teacher's resources that they recommend from the episode on www.fedtalks.com. I hope you'll enjoy the interview with Brian Daniel. Well, I'm excited to welcome to the show this week, Brian Daniel Oglesby. Um, Brian Daniel uh, is the Director of Theater Arts at Skybridge Academy in Dripping Springs, Texas. Um, So I have a lot I want to talk to you about. So why don't we just jump right in and uh, tell me a little bit about where you teach and kind of the, the situation you're in right now with the school that you're at. Right on. So... Skybridge Academy is progressive alt ed. It's a, a private school in Dripping Springs. Uh, where it's a suburb of Austin. I live in Austin, proper about 25 miles away from the school. Our school is, it's a really, really small school. It's junior high and high school, and we have about 65 kids. We can grow to about 75, maybe 80 kids, but it's it's really, really small, which means that we have a lot of one-on-one with the students. We don't have grades. We have narrative evaluations, and we're and our evaluations are based off of a certain, our criteria based off of our core values, which includes content mastery, what, what do you actually know, but also includes like perseverance and effort and so on. And that is, and that kind of program allows, uh, or that kind of um, school allows for my kind of program to really thrive. The, um, the students vote on the classes, except for the core curriculum. And basically the classes are shaped to the people in the room. The, uh, what happened very early on was I had, I had this class, I, I was hired, I was there part-time. I had this uh, production class of six kids. One of the classes I made that first semester was production and had six kids in it. And so it's, I was looking around for like, how do you find a, a show for six kids. And I had just graduated from an um, MFA program in playwriting. This was like a sort of part-time gig. Uh, this was the day job while I did my big kid writing. So I just started and uh, we were looking at a handful of scenes um, because we're both a junior high and high school. Like you have to look for something that's going to include both ranges, especially back. That was, we had about 40, 45 kids back then. But one of the kids had like an idea for an image. And I was like, I kind of want to write a play and I will write a scene based off of that image and then we'll see if the kids like it. And the kids did. And then like I wrote the play with and for them using devising activities. And that kind of created the program where 
I write the play with and for the high schoolers in the fall. And then I write the play with and for the junior high in the spring. And that just, it just sort of spiraled outward from there. So, so did they seek you out uh, to come build that program? I was hired on vibes. Um, okay. I, like uh, what happened was, is I, I had a friend who was there, uh, their English teacher at the time. And she knew that they were looking for a theater teacher and she knew my, my pedagogy, my approach. I was going to do a reading at the school that didn't pan out and just kind of meeting my boss. Uh, the, uh, it went really, really well. And then later on I was graduating and didn't know what the next year would have for me. And I, and they reached out and we had lunch and before, like there wasn't a moment in that lunch where there was a, you are hired. It was just kind of like, so we're just meeting each other. And by the end of it, we were talking about like what classes I would propose for to the students, which is like a really good <laughs> way of getting a job. I mean, there's a more formal process now that just happened to be a, a particular moment in our history when that was how we were hired or how I was hired. But our, my pedagogy really lined up with the school. Like they, I'm very much learner centered and I want to go and make things with the people in the room. I, uh, I want the things to sort of reflect the people in the room and it's, and as a playwright, like it's what I can actually do. <laughs> there are many things that I'm, I can't really teach without actually making it. Like I, I need to know how the mechanics of the, of the, of the things of the plays actually work. And the best way of doing that is actually writing it. That way I know how the characters work. And um, so that allows me to actually teach the acting and teach all the other elements of it. I am not a playwright. I have attempted to do that and it was very unsuccessful. I am not proud of my work at all. Um, so <laughs> I am always just completely, I, I, I love hearing how playwrights work. And I love, yeah. I love the good teachers who can do playwriting with their students well. And there are... I'm sure that other teachers out there that are listening to this episode are going to be like, this man just lives in an absolute dream world that none of us do. But I know you do some really cool work with your kids. I want to dig into that a little bit if we can to talk okay. about the, that devising process. Um, Cause yeah. I know that's a hot thing uh, that I'm, I'm teaching at the university level. I mean, I know right. that's a big thing in, in like IB theater and, and all the other things that teachers want to do, but we don't, we don't know how to do it. So give me a little bit about your process right. and how you work with your students with that. So I write a play in a semester and like, if you're doing a, um, and I've spent a lot, a lot of time learning how to write plays and write other things. I have spent, I went to college for 10 years for these, these things. And I think there are things that I would suggest doing in miniature versus the crazy thing that I, that, that we do. One of the things I, I start each semester thinking about is like, what is sparking for me or what is really interesting to me? I usually have an idea of some of the kids in the, in, in the, who will be in the room, but not all of them. Creating plays from, from whole cloth, starting from complete, complete scratch is really, really hard. And so last, this last year, I wanted to focus on adaptation, which gives you a sort of a, a something to sort of pin the things that you're doing to. Each process is, will, will be a little bit different, but um, I'm, and I'm still speaking in abstractions. Let me get a little bit more concrete. Uh, this last semester, the things that we started with, we, we knew that our character would be going on a hero's journey. And the reason I, we knew that is because I had these conversations with their English teacher about like what they could be learning. And, and the English teacher wanted to focus on the hero's journey. And that's kind of where we sort of collided. 
And we knew that there was this character who had been in the two previous junior high plays who seems to start the the first of the plays, it was called the Untitled Pirate Play, by saying like, oh, I want to go on this great adventure, I want to defeat pirates, and then spends most of the play hiding. Um, and I was really excited by this, like, this character that was like, that, um, that takes this heroic tropes and then doesn't actually have an impact on the plot but manages to survive this play. And then he also, in the second play, he sort of gives us entry at the beginning of the second play, which is called And Then She Picks Up the Sword. And then um, uh, when the other characters and he disappear into the forest um, for sort of Shakespeare comedy-inspired series of events, he very quickly loses his memory and like has his heart removed with like right before the climax and causes the climax in that way, but is dead for it and then comes back to life. And so I was like, I really want to focus on him. Like he's the one who's connected these two, like uh, the rule of threes, you need to have threes in this pattern. So we started with Carl. We had done some work where I was like, well, we, ha- uh, where I was lo- looking at the different worlds that he had encountered. He had, he had encountered the sort of fairy land uh, knights and princesses and queen's world he'd encountered this world of pirates and sort of uh, and kraken we played around with a, d- a bunch of different locations and the things that started to spark were under the sea and uh going to space and so i had my tech students come up with inspirational images just basically like just come up with things that really spoke to them um and so and then what we did is we did um i had a couple weeks of, do, of doing improv games to kind of get them used to building story building um, based off of images and based off of themes. And then gave them a handful, these handful of images and we said, go. And they did ba- basically sort of a, a series of scenes from a hat kind of a thing where they would like, where they would see an image and they would like create something. And the things that were really sparking, we would then sort of build off of. And, that, and I, essentially I attached a number of, like, of tra- very traditional theater games and use them to build story or plot. The kids, different semesters will have different skills. Um, sometimes the kids are more, are better at creating character voices. And so we do things where they were interviewing them in different character modes or doing uh, good, bad, worst, uh, this sort of uh, a theater game where the, where you, where you have, someone interviewing three characters and one has like uh who's like a virtuous character or the other one is a bad character and the other one is like we, we end up going kind of a doofy character uh, and they'll create characters built based off of that and then i'll have to sort of fashion the sort of the plot and sometimes the kids are really driven towards plot and what we'll do is we'll do this sort of like long form improv activity where I'll give them a starting point and then um, point them in different directions as they're sort of building story and then have to try to figure out, okay, so these are the different characters that started to emerge, this sort of lost child or this overbearing mother. There were some interesting things here. What can they sound like? And then what I do is I start writing the play and I go more into uh, playwright mode and I'll bring different scenes to class and different versions of that and then we'll read it and then whatever is sparking the most out of those different scenes i'll just uh lean into those and sort of build off of those again it's really about like taking theater games and applying it to building a story or building characters Mm -hmm. i I would say and then i about six weeks and there's a play (laughs) there has to be so it's it's a um 
it's a combination of like the the devising and I use quotes process because there are eight million different ways to create a new work. Um, so it's kind of a combination of what is out there of this is how you devise and then traditional playwriting as well, where you're bringing yeah. in you're bringing in new work for them based on what they've done. So I've written a number of uh, I've written two of these deleted scenes for fairy tales with my junior high kids. And that's a, probably a more of a, a primer on how on how to like directly apply devising and improv to making a script because it's such a recognizable container that everyone in the room kind of already can understand. Mm-hmm. And so for that one is, is is an even better is just an even better example. So you just like you get a handful of people familiarizing themselves with the different different stories you can do sort of pitches where they throw out different ideas and then they just do improv based around it and then you just try to gather the things that are like sparking and the things that are really that are really exciting and the things that are really interesting if you have some kids with good improv skills that's a great place to <laughs> that is where they start that is where things start to um to really rise you can and then you sort of look at can look at what what the pieces want to be what they are kind of like circling around and try to build off of that, those, that, that kernel that they're giving you. What do you, what do you, with your experience in in doing this, what do you see as what is valuable or the benefits of doing this type of work with your kids? The kids get very, very, very invested to start. That is a starting point. Like that they feel like they have ownership in that. And sometimes that that can that can lead to problems, as you can imagine. Like uh, you know, like oh, there are some creative choices that happened in the play last night that I was not expecting. <laughs> ooh, ooh, that kid pretended to be drunk that time. All right, I'm going to have to. Talk. <laughs> but the fact that they that they have that sense of ownership means that they're um, that in my in our very small school, I have these kids who really love making theater. They make more creative choices, and again, I was I'm a playwright and my uh, academic background is in writing. Um, I have some practical experience in producing, some practical experience in uh, building sets and all the other things around it, but I don't have like a deep well of training um, to draw upon for like teaching acting. And so having kids who have a lot of ownership of these of, of the play um, means that they are more willing to take risks with their as as actors which is really awesome they learn about the they experience the creative process um both uh by like being a part of it and also by witnessing me and they you know they see me in my my crappy first drafts they see me as i'm like tearing out my hair they they talk with me when i'm like trying to figure out something in a in in it and so and so it's when they're when they're doing their own creative or even just writing composition, writing essays, they can sort of draw upon that and be like, oh, this is what Brian goes through. He did it right in front of us. Like, you you know that I do multiple drafts. You know that there are like dozens and like that you have to generate a ton and ton and ton of crap before you can get to like that good thing. So just start doing it. And so, um, so that's a huge benefit. Um, the plays reflect more of their voices as well and their experiences and the things that they're interested in. So we have a, a large number of LGBT uh, kids in our, in our student population. And so we have a number of plays that are, that are, that are gay, um, that have gay characters in it. And sometimes 
And while in like the first one we did, that was like, it was a LGBT version of Romeo and Juliet with uh, 12 year olds, uh, well, or well, junior high kids. Um, and that where, where it was really hinging on that. Later on, the latest plays that we have, it's not, it's um, occasionally it's a plot point, but oftentimes it's just part of the landscape of the, of the, of the play that, you know, that we have um, trans or, or uh, non-binary or, um, or gay characters. Like it's just has to be part of it because those happen to that, like that's, those are the people we got in the room, you know? Mm-hmm. It also means like I'm not jockeying around looking for a play that fits the gender makeup that, of, that I assume that the kids have. I, I'm often on Facebook and these posts will be about, we need, we need, I need a play for five talented girls, three girls, additional girls and two boys who, uh, and like, and I'm like, I, mm, I, okay. There's always a part for any, for, for the kids. There's always a part for the kids in my plays. You know, there's some things that I sort of shape in that way too. Like I won't have a spear carrier number two, unless I have a kid who is is so petrified, but only, and wants a tiny, tiny, tiny part. And like, and might, freak out and have an anxiety attack and disappear into a closet like like in which case like there will be a spear carrier number two but everyone has something interesting to do on stage they might not have the big part um but they have something interesting to do on stage and so and i make it and i'm able to tailor it to the people in the room and and again like in a small school you really have to be able to include everyone who wants to be included and i think that's the cool thing and like and i hope that at larger school like you can carry that philosophy of like wanting to include everyone who wants to give a piece of their lives to this art. Well, and like, like you just said, it goes back to that. Even, even the spear carrier number two has invested what he wants into that piece. And you, you've taken his contributions and made it a part of, of the final piece. So Yeah. yeah, they feel that it's, it's theirs. They've, they've, they were a part of it. Yeah you landed in this position in a very non-traditional way and you're in a very non-traditional school. Tell me maybe from the teacher perspective, what you wish you had known going into a classroom. I had a handful of technical skills going into it before I was at Skybridge. um, During the summers, I'd make theater with a theater company in California called Barnyard Theater. Um, And um, my hometown. And it was like a, and it was like, it was in a barn and there was dirt floors and like we had to load in everything, every audience chair, every bat and every light, everything. Uh, So I had some, some familiarity with the producing side of things. Like how do you, how do you put a screw into a piece of wood? And there are a lot of these sort of I, I really wish I had known more. Like I wish I had known more. I wish I'd known how to teach it. I wish like I, I realized that um, in the last week I had this huge epiphany of that. When I teach technical theater, I need to talk. We talk about safety very much early on and we talk, but we don't talk about envisioning how things can go wrong and how do you communicate how something should be used realizing that that is essential to teaching technical theater. I wish I had known that. Right. Um, I wish I had known that. Like just, it's not just reading the play and, or creating the play and doing research on images and then doing research on techniques to 
build the things you want to build or do the things you want to do. It's also putting yourself in the position of someone who is operating at an actor who has to pick it up and find it on a prop table and imagining what they're going to do when they see it, you know? And so I wish I'd known those kinds of things. There's some things that I, some psychological things with teenagers that I've had to sort of like stumble into. I can't think of any like concrete examples, but I just like kind of know that like I've I've been learning a lot. Um, well, the, the great thing about what you just said is there's no concrete thing to know about that. Right. Because teenagers yeah, are constantly totally changing. <laughs> there were a lot of things that I didn't know going in but interviewed friends about like how do like how do how does an actor work through stage fright and like the rituals that we put in place i'm like okay so that's a function of warm ups not just not just learning how to project it's also about creating a ritual so that people have don't have stage fright when they go into it ah i did not know that going into the room <laughs> i'm I, I spend my time reading plays and writing plays and seeing other people work with actors I wish I'd known viewpoints. I learned some things about viewpoints and I wish I had like taken more viewpoints. Uh, stage combat. In every play I have some, I have a fight because I learned from, from my students that they really learn how to trust each other when they have some stage combat. And I know a handful of things that I keep reusing and reusing. And I really wish I had more training in that because it, it really does. Those moments do really, really, really build trust in the room. And I think, and that's, and I think that's a, one of the main major things that someone can get out of theater is the ability to like learn how to work with each other and how to trust each other. So well, you have to have that foundation to, to do the work that you're doing with your kids too. Yeah. yeah. And I, you're not alone with the, the, the technical theater stuff. Cause most, most all the teachers that are coming out are good acting, directing teachers and, uh, they think they can do playwriting well and, and their theater history, they can do that. But when we get to right. building sets and, you know, designing lights and costumes, I mean, goodness gracious, I, I, I was kicked out of the costuming shop during my undergrad, so I couldn't even thread a sewing machine. So I had to learn big black hole for me like i'm just like i'm going to trust other people to do it and if i need to go to a thrift shop i will buy i will go to a thrift shop and buy it. <laughs> yeah um, so you you are not alone in that <laughs> tell me about um one of your favorite one or two of your favorite stories from from your teaching experience so far in skybridge we have a sort of a capstone which is sort of a senior thesis type thing uh project and we had this really very talented kid who's a very clearly wants to be an artist like uh, like he's uh, he's he's very he just makes things beautiful everywhere he goes like he'll just be like he'll walk into a classroom and re reposition all the books so they look like a rainbow and you're like ah, okay cool they need to be in alphabetical order but like i love that it's beautiful his capstone was not was something that would have been ambitious for anyone else it was uh flower boxes of some sort and initially and we and the art teacher and I like talked and we we're like I think Sam needs something a little bit more ambitious he needs a larger uh, canvas on which to do his work and I was like well I can just give him my theater he has a he has a 24 foot by 24 foot theater like it's a very tiny space but he can do whatever he wants as long as it follows it has it follows in this criteria like it's can act like we can fit 45 chairs in there and um we have play space and there's an entrance and exit 
and um, and so he reluctantly took it. Uh, initially, he thought like he had to, um, and it ended up being a great thing because he did this beautiful design very early on, and so and then spent the entire semester building it with this like platoon of junior high. Uh, technical theater kids so um just like they would they would they would do it the entire class he just kind of led them in building this beautiful set and then they would often do it through 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 um uh through wreck and lunch and uh he wanted it to be fully immersive and it was this you know and so and it's the set that it was like had uh rocks and flowers and and it really reminded and that's the one that really reminded me of like uh midsummer night's dream mm-hmm. specifically and also just sort of the sort of pastoral comedies of shakespeare and so i ended up doing the, the process with that started with like looking at the image well first it started out with me teaching the kids all like like or, like let's create, you know, tableaus based off of locations and around Skybridge, around the campus, and then build stories off of those tableaus and then building and so on and so forth. And so then we brought these skills that we created in story to the design images and they came up with these really cool ideas. Um, and the things that were starting to pop was, uh, was there a couple in there about these characters who were fleeing a wedding. They didn't want to get married. And I was like, I'm really, that's really starting to spark for me. I'm really liking these ones. And it does remind me Midsummer. And also the kid, Sam, our designer, would, was telling me that images would come to him in his dreams. It would be like, here's an image. I drew this image that came to me in my dream. And I'd be like, oh, okay, uh, cool. And so, and what I ended up doing was we ended up having this, the, the play I, I was like, I really want this play to be fully, deeply immersive for you to go. And Sam wanted that too, for you to go into the theater and feel like you're entering into this other land, this other magical land. And how do I do that while also having the story, the parts of the story where people are leaving weddings? Well, I'm going to have the wedding. The first scene is going to be outside of the theater. We have a nice sort of lunchroom that looks like a living room. And I'm going, we're going to decorate it as a wedding. <laughs> and I was, and I had this awesome, like, she was in junior high then, a person in my technical theater class who loves doing props and was like, just like, turn it into a wedding venue. And it was like, oh, that's, that's, that's a little great. Like, here's some like, like, foam wedding cakes that look realistic that she found online. Uh, like, or like, just the, the how to build them she found online. So she built these things and it was beautiful. And then the princess doesn't want to get married to the prince and the prince really doesn't want to get married to the princess. And they both run away from their wedding. And then, you know, there's fainting and then everyone goes into the forest and like dorky forest things happen. And so like, for me, that was just like a wonderful experience of like starting from a kid's design and trying to figure out how to inhabit that space how and how can we create story in that space and how can we go instead of going from like a from a play to a design going from a design to a play and to take these ideas that the kids were sort of circling around and turn that into a story and to like not have like a like one of those journey plays where you're going like that you're going from place to place to place but like having sort of the kernel of that of like starting in one place thinking that you're going to have a play out here and then finding out that it's actually in this other place. And like, Oh, it was, it was, that was, that was one story that I just really, really love. What do you see as the greatest need in your students right now? And how can we as theater teachers help them with that? 
I think the sense of being heard mm. and being, yeah, of being, of being listened to and being heard. Yes, I am the director when I'm directing the plays and I'm the playwright when I'm writing the plays. And there's a level of, there's, it's, it's still a vertical process. It's not a purely horizontal process. It's not a democracy. But I think that's the thing that I can bring into that room is like, I do listen to the kids when they have an idea or they have a concern. For example, I had I, one of my experiments in this last play that I've been working on is there are a number of characters die throughout the play. And, and every time they die, um, because it takes place in space. And so there's an alien species that has a, that has a belief that when you die, you relive the moment where you met the love of your life and they stand up and each character says what the moment where they met the love of their life. And then there's one character who dies. The last character who dies in the play is selected completely randomly. There are five different characters it could be from, and they improvise a monologue and they can, the kid can improvise like where they met a love and it doesn't have to be romantic. It could be familial or friendship. And so they can, they can improvise their, they can, they can improvise it from their character's point of view or from their own point of view. One kid always chooses her best friend and like talks about that. And the other kids make up stuff and then they would leave. And my idea was I wanted them to leave and then not come in for the, for the, for the bows at the very end, because I think I want the audience to carry the story with them just a little bit longer and the kids were great with the, they love the like, like improvising and coming up with their own, that moment for that, for them. But it made them uncomfortable to like, not be part of the bows at the very end. And they came up and they talked to me about that. And we talked about how that some audience members would feel like, would feel worse because their kid was not coming out. And some of that, like, and like other audience members wouldn't even like really figure it out. And like, that's kind of a coded thing. And so I changed it. I was like, okay, like, I think like this experiment is one that's not going to like, is, is not as valuable to me. This part of this experiment is not as valuable to me as these other parts. And you have, and we, and we talked about the reasons for it and the reasons against it. And they were able to sort of articulate like that when you have a play and then you have all the characters, including the ones who left come back on stage, that it kind of, negates that that like that that loss and there is a genuine loss but they were able to articulate that but they're also able to see the other and articulate their other feelings about it and like we're able to talk about like how the different different people would have all this i felt i felt really good that they came up to me and they kicked back at my choice because i knew that they were being heard and i think if you feel like you're being I, i think if you feel like you're being heard you feel like your voice matters. I think that's important. I think that like, it means that they'll feel more empowered to create their own work in the future. And that's really what we need. We need people who are creating and not just consuming. It's a great skill to have. And instead of having people who are just sitting on the sidelines, being grumpy that people are not making things for them, they make their own things. Yeah, I think feeling like you're not being heard is, and you're not, and you don't count is really tough. That, I mean, that, and that goes to a lot of different things. That goes to what it means to be uh, LGBT or someone in an underrepresented community. I think it's a testament to the, the, the environment that you've created with your students and that, that you've obviously established some kind of sense of ensemble or sense of trust with them that they felt they could come to you and say that. Yeah. 
and that you they knew they would be heard by you. So I, I, I think that's just a testament to the work that you're doing with your kids. What is a resource you're currently using or have used that we need to know about? I would say the new play exchange. I think that I'm always seeing people on Facebook ask about where they find plays and asking about plays. And then people just recommend the same handful of plays, oftentimes Disney Junior. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you guys, there are literally thousands of plays on the new play exchange and you can find them or you can find a playwright and playwrights want to like connect with people. They want their stuff to be produced. So I would say the new play exchange is like a very concrete, is like a very concrete place where you can find a lot of plays, some of them unproduced, some of them produced that are, and you can search for whatever criteria you're looking for. I would also say another resource, I would just say like, let's, let's be honest, Playwrights. Playwrights are a great resource. Um, I would say if you don't feel comfortable writing, creating with your own, creating your own plays with your kids, talk to a playwright and commission a playwright if you have the money. Like if you can find the money, commission a playwright. Playwrights are a lot cheaper than you realize <laughs> um, because we want our work to be produced and like, oh, here's a here's a guaranteed production right here. Like. I will, whatever, what do you need? And then you also have a play that you can sell to other people. Like it's like, it's, it's, it's a great thing. I would say like, that's another resource that I would highly recommend people actually consider. I would also plug dramaturgs as well. I think oftentimes there's a lot of bad dramaturgy that happens in the high school and junior high theater world. And there are people who's, who are hungry as well and would cherish the chance to have their work impact human beings out there. High school theater is probably the most produced theater in the country. And you have a much greater impact and much deeper impact on if you're working, if you're connecting with the high schoolers. So I think dramaturgs and playwrights could be wonderful assets to be incorporated into theater education world. What are your parting words of wisdom for new teachers? Look for the stories that are being overlooked. Look for the people who are being overlooked. That's both when you're looking to craft a season. And it's also what I hope you look for when you are casting. Or yeah, when you're if you're in a if you're in a big high school, the kid who plays a nurse can play Juliet, you know, like the kid who plays a nurse can be the lead. And so I think look for the things that are overlooked. I love that. I love that so much. Well, where can we find uh, some information about you and your plays if we want to research a little bit more about you? Probably my website's the best for that. Uh, I will warn there's both the stuff for teenagers and the stuff for adults on there. Mm -hmm. I I came into this writing plays with curse words in the title. So it's com. Brian spelled with an I. Oglesby is spelled O-G-L-E-S-B-Y. Brian Daniel is one word. If, you, if you're on New Play Exchange, Brian Daniel Oglesby on New Play Exchange, if you have an account for them. If you find me on Facebook, I will totally be happy to chat unless we're in like graduation time or I'm super busy <laughs> or something. But uh, my websites, I try, to, I try to keep it updated. I try to put up the, the plays as soon as I feel like they're shovel ready. Writing two plays a year for, for my kids and then additional plays means I, I, I get a lot, I write a lot of plays, but it is like my day job as well. So, so well, um, I, there's I, a lot of stuff. 
I've been to your stuff. website and I can attest there's a lot on there and there's a lot of good stuff on there. So um, I hope um, your website will see a little bit more increase in traffic and uh, maybe people some reaching out to you to, to produce some of your work. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And um, I, I look forward to seeing what else you and your students do. Oh, it's a pleasure. And thank you for having a thought space for people who make work with young people. I love it. And I love the people who do that. So thank you for, for reaching out to me. Thank you, Brian, Daniel, for reaching out to me and, and wanting to share the really neat, um, innovative things you're doing with your students at Skybridge Academy. Again, you can find his works of, of playwriting that he's done, as well as various essays that um, he's written about devising theater and the, and the playwriting that he's done on his website at BrianDanielOglesby.com. Visit our website at www.fedtalks.com where you can find all the show notes and archives as well as the resource list from each teacher who's been on the show. Please go on to any of your favorite podcast providers. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, Google Podcasts, on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, AnyPod, TuneIn, and of course YouTube as well. Please reach out to me via email at fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at theateredtalks. You can find us on Tumblr at fedtalks.tumblr.com. We're on Facebook at FedTalks, Instagram at FedTalksPodcast, and again, our website is www.fedtalks.com. Please go on any of your podcast providers, subscribe to the show, rate us, give us those stars, review us, tell us what you're liking, um, and share the podcast with uh, those teachers out there that you think could benefit from what we're doing here. Thank you, Joel Hamlin and Joshua Schusterman, for the use of your song, Magnetize. Hope you have a wonderful week, and I hope you end up your year is wrapping up really, really well. And I know you're already making plans and looking forward to a relaxing and wonderful summer where you get to take time for you. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll talk to you next week.